For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 359 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, January 19th, 2023. And with me, as always, my pal, my colleague, and really apparently the only guy in the U.S. who doesn't have classified documents in his house, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Maybe I do. How are you? Welcome maybe, back. Thank you. Well, it, maybe you do. Uh, we, we haven't talked for a while. We took our had our special episode yeah. last that, that did. That did well, it seems. We got some good yeah, feedback from some episode of, our of Blossom. Yeah. Uh, they like to know our struggles, apparently, with our business model. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah, we. Uh, I was uh, taking a little holiday with the family and went to, to all things Disney World. And it was fantastic. We did all four parks, and I have a list of... Uh, put it Sounds like a nightmare to me, but I know you enjoy that. Oh, very my much. God. I have... Uh, you know what I was, I was talking to Pam, my wife, and we were like, you know, "What what are we really? What's the thing that we do the best?" And I think the thing that her and I do the best is we go into some kind of a park or theme park or event area and we pick it apart and we say, "Here's what everybody's doing wrong." And I just I would if somebody would pay me to just do that, I'd be happy to go into Universal and I'd be like for a little thing like. We were walking up to a restroom area at Disney, and it had the male and female uh, images for restrooms way at the top, right? The male was on the left, and the female was on the right. But the female restroom was on the left, and the male was on the right, so they switched it. So you're looking at it from the top, but then when you go to it, you have to actually go the other direction. I'm like, that's an easy thing to pick out that nobody's seeing. Like nobody in that park, in the park, this beautiful Disney experience that they have, that they could, you know, just a small thing, and and we notice that. That's what we're well, here for. That's a, so. But here's an interesting thing. I would challenge you to make a list of those things, because you don't know. Someone may have made a very purposeful decision for that, and uh, given that it's Disney. I would almost bet that they did. That there was now the decision maybe. So they want people. They want people wrong. to go into. The, and I saw it happen. I saw it happen where somebody went into the wrong restroom, and that that would just happen in a five minute period. So you're saying that somebody made a purposeful decision, so they went into the wrong restroom area. Is that what you're telling me? No, no. That's obviously not why they would make the purposeful decision. That's why it would be a wrong decision. But that's not why they made the purposeful decision. They may have made. There may have been some design or some, I, I don't know how to rationalize it, but, but what I wouldn't assume, this is, and this would be the interesting thing, actually, in your list as you start putting these things together, because I, I go through this all the time when I look at my, my clients and their content and the decisions that they've made about content that they've put out into the world, and <clears throat> the design of their website and the design of their marketing and the decisions they make about their marketing I have found it not as interesting to go to make the assumption that no one made a decision or that that it was by default or that it was an accident. And rather, it it is interesting for me to ask the question, why did you make this decision? Because somebody did. Yes. This was a 
somebody made the decision to put the signs where they were. And I would assume that they were conscious of the fact that it was the opposite way and made the decision anyway. And the decision behind that is more interesting to me than, than they screwed up, basically, that nobody saw it. So, it's inter- yeah. it's interesting. I I actually know somebody that works at Disney, not in that area. Okay. Yeah. I I'm, I took sure. a picture of it. I'm going to send it over and just say, "Do you know about this?" And ask. Right. Yeah. And actually, you know what? And ask why this The other thing. And instead of saying, "Why did somebody screw up?" ask them, "Why was this decision made?" True. I so I I will go ahead and do that. I will do the the work that you want. Done. I would be interested. To, I would be interested in the follow up for that. I, I will be very. I will take in that, that to the next level. Actually, I was surprised with be, with especially with Disney being so inclusive that they don't have, uh, they don't have as many uh, gender neutral or all gender restroom areas is that i would have well that's going to be true that's that's florida full stop that's florida but disney world is not florida yeah. disney world is not disney world is well, its own yeah. city has its own police force i know that, of course florida's yeah, trying to change and its own fire department yeah, yeah. and the whole thing is uh, anyways we had a magical time as they say that's lovely and Wonderful. uh and i put a list you saw that on facebook i put a list of my top 10 rides and attractions and I did see the that top two. Oh man, you would you would love. I know you're not a big rides guy, but the Guardians of the Galaxy experience they have at Epcot, Cosmic Rewind is fantastic, and then Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance, where you you can you can go on the one in, in L.A. or you can do the one at Disney World is just yeah. takes your breath away. How they do that? I have wanted to do that. I, I I will admit to wanting to go to Disneyland here and in just Southern go to California just and, go to the Star Wars area. and see the Star Wars yeah. thing. Yeah, I wanted to see the Star Wars thing because uh, that 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 seems. Really What's amazing cool. is is that once you um, get into that area, you cannot see outside into the other areas of the park. That's what I've heard. It's yeah, like you right. feel well, like you that's, are yeah. there and in it, and especially in that ride. Like once you're in that, but ride, that's <laughs> it's it would be yeah, fun. I mean, but speaking of speaking of design, that's what. I've heard it's that, you know, what I remember hearing and remember experiencing at Disney is that's true for everything. Like when you're in Tomorrowland, you can't see any other land, right? When you're in any other part of the park, you, they've designed it in a way where you can't actually see the neighboring. uh, That is, that is completely true. You are immersed in whatever the theme is of that area. And, uh, and I happen to know that you don't know all the doors <laughs> to the underground city, um, as I've spoken about on this show before, because I have actually been arrested by the uh, Disney police for other things way back in the day. I've told that story before here, haven't I? Uh, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, we'll have to bring that up for a special episode. All the ways yeah, that, maybe so. that Robert's been arrested. Well, that'd be a special, that'd be a double episode. <laughs> That gonna, would be gonna, a double episode. A it would but, not be uh, for the, the faint but of the, heart. But just yes. before we get off on this, uh, you know, topic that has nothing to do with marketing, we did go yeah. to Kennedy Space Center as well, and I have to say, oh, that fantastic! Now that is an experience. I got to tell you, I I was expecting sort of a visitor center because it is it is at the visitor center. I wasn't. I had very sure. low expectations going into this. Oh my yeah. goodness! I don't know what kind of money they're getting from Boeing and Lockheed Martin, but the, this thing is first rate all the way. And they had a whole makeover in 2020. It's almost like you're going into a brand 
new NASA theme park. They've got rides, they've got attractions, they they do everything. It's got a little Disney-esque touch touch to it. I mean, I'm I was totally impressed. We spent five or six hours there. You could easily spend days if you were really into it to to go through it. Wow. That now that see now that sounds like a fun day for me. Do they have like a flight simulator where you can go and that, sit? Yep. And, they had the flight simulator. Yeah. They had the uh, we went to the Apollo Eight attraction. That was the f- the first time that we actually went to the moon, and they went through. You basically sat on a stage in front of the real equipment that they used, and they simulated from three minutes down. And you basically experienced it, and the you know the walls were shaking as it took off, and you could see though they had a window screen where you could see the smoke and the windows are shaking, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is pretty impressive stuff. That's yeah, awesome. I, so I, I totally uh, totally recommend that one as well. And then uh, we did we did make a quick stop at uh, Universal Islands of Adventure to go specifically on two coasters, Jurassic Park's Velocicoaster. <laughs> And we did okay. the new Hagrid <laughs> roller coaster ride. Oh Both top notch Velocicoaster, right. top five coaster for sure. And actually, Hagrid's pretty close too. So, you coaster enthusiasts. The fact that you call them coasters, coasters. roller coasters. <laughs> coasters. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the derivation. So, yes, yes anyways, <laughs> t- totally worth it to go. Well, I, we have our oldest is a roller coaster aficionado, like knows who makes it, when they made it, all the. Like, it's it's weird how you get around people like this and they walk into the ride and they'll say, okay, RMC made this coaster in you know, 2019 and they took the designs from this coaster company and I'm like, oh my gosh, yep, that's that how is we some talk nerdy, about marketing. nerdy stuff. They talk right about there. roller coaster stuff. So, anyways, yeah. anyways uh, just before we start, congratulations mm-hmm. on your your Cowboys. Thanks. Yeah, well, we'll see. They got a big game coming up, you know. But they 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 sent uh, bye bye Tom. They sent Tom into retirement. Hopefully. Um, and uh, played very, very well. So we'll see what they can do against the 49ers. That's going to be a tough, tough game. So, uh, yeah. What's the theme, for, what's the theme for next week against the 49ers? Is it go for two? Is that the uh, yeah, It may be. The it may be. Yeah, now that uh, the guy has the Ted Lasso yips, yeah, uh, we'll see. The For those of you who didn't see or don't know, the kicker for the Dallas Cowboys missed four extra points, which are gimmies typically in the NFL, extra points, and he missed four in a row. Which has never uh, happened. Which is, it's never, never happened. happened. It's, it's unprecedented. At any point he in any season. He just had the yips. He had the yips. And so I'm, I'm not remembering my Ted Lasso because we're not supposed to say the Y word. But, yeah, it's uh, – we'll see. We'll see. They hire – they did sign another kicker. So we'll see if they if they actually use him or not or if that was just a, a, a ploy to get the guy to get his you-know-what together. I, I don't know. I just felt so bad. I felt I, yeah. I couldn't watch the fourth one, and then I definitely didn't watch the fifth one. When the fifth one, he made, he made it. Yeah, but he I made was already fifth. done by that yeah. point. I just couldn't take it anymore. I felt bad for his family, his ancestors, the people he went to college with, <laughs> the whole thing. I just felt yeah. horrible about the whole situation. So, yeah. Anywho, should we? Uh, anyway, we got a we show. Start? Yeah, we have what a show. We have, we have uh, a what we lot have to talk about. Week? We have a lot to talk about. Uh, it was a big week uh, while you were away, so lots of news to chitter-chatter about. 
First, we'll open up with AI because you, here comes the investment, but also here come the lawsuits. Uh, tons of artificial intelligence and content and lawsuits and investment going on. We'll talk a little bit about what Microsoft, GitHub, Getty Images, and uh, all of those things have in common. Then we'll talk a little bit about J.P. Morgan Chase and how this content marketing site that they bought, uh, they just had to shut it down for the oddest of reasons, one that Joe, I'm certainly uh, sure, will have an opinion on because it regards email. And in our Musky Scent segment, we'll first of all ask everybody what they think about the Musky Scent segment and whether we should continue to smell it up uh, and uh, do that. But we'll talk certainly about how Twitter has had a yard sale uh, and uh, selling off that old mattress as well as that statue that your significant other might want. Uh, and Parlor, uh, related to this, is gone from mostly dead to all dead. Uh, maybe it's starting to time get to time to rummage through their pockets for loose change. And uh, we'll see if Elon's got uh, the time to ask Domino's if they take checks, because the first debt payment on his acquisition is now due. Then we'll finish off, um, if we've got time, with Don't Call It Content Marketing, the desperate plea for a debate that has uh, we thought was settled about 10 years ago, but we'll see if it's going to come back or not. Oh, my then God, we'll I get can't wait. Ransom. I want to talk about that one. Please, let's talk yeah. about that one. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, then we'll get to Rants and Raves. Uh, and I will rant a little bit about uh, this whole idea of Silicon Valley being fascinated with Elon's uh, ability to bring Twitter down to bare bones and why I think that might be the most ridiculous idea of all time. And Joe will talk a little bit about differentiation. He'll differentiate the show by talking about differentiation, and it will get real meta real fast <laughs> in here. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, so there we go. So it's a chock-a-block show. I mean, it's just fun. We got some fun, fun, fun stuff to talk about. Yay. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can actually get my uh, actual browser to work here. Um, so let's talk about uh, the first thing, which is AI. Uh, AI having a little bit of a moment. A I little, a, is, a little <laughs> moment. Well, no, it's odd before you start. <laughs> is uh, This has been going on, obviously, for a long, long time. I was talking to somebody recently. I said, you know, this is you know, three years of... Uh, Paul Reitzer's conference, you know, Macon, Marketing AI Institute, the whole, you know, Marketing AI has been around for a long, long time. But this one thing seems to have opened up to everyone's like, oh, my God, this is new. Chat GPT, who right. knew that all this was going on? That's right. It's, um, anyways. it's been going on for quite a while. Dolly 2 has been going on. To, so it's Dolly 2, right? There was a Dolly 1 uh, that nobody paid a lot of attention to. And you know, there was a chat GPT-1 and a chat GPT-2 as, as well. So um, all of this are evolutions of things that have been happening for a while. But now it seems like Silicon Valley has opened up their eyes. The world has opened up their eyes. Uh, and there are a number of developments that have happened over the last week, namely both investment and lawsuits. So we'll link to a few uh, articles here in the show notes, um, including one which uh, comes to us courtesy of The Verge, which talks about a lawsuit that could rewrite the rules of AI copyright. Microsoft and GitHub uh, is, uh, especially 
uh, and OpenAI are being sued for allegedly violating copyright law by reproducing open source code using AI, but the suit would have huge impact on the wider world of artificial intelligence. That article opens up by saying Microsoft and its subsidiary GitHub uh, and the business partner OpenAI have been targeted in a proposed class action lawsuit alleging that the company's creation of AI-powered coding assistant GitHub Copilot relies on software piracy on an unprecedented scale. The case is only in its earliest stages, but it could have a huge effect on the broader world of AI, where companies are making fortunes training software on copyright-protected data. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But then the other thing that's happening is that Getty Image is actually suing Stable Diffusion. This story also in The Verge, uh, and it says that Getty Images claims that Stability AI unlawfully scraped millions of images from its site, and it's a significant escalation in the development of legal battle between generative AI firms and content creators. Uh, it says Getty, Getty Images is suing Stability AI, creators of the popular AI art tool Stable Diffusion, over alleged copyright violations. Uh, the stock photo company says that it believes that stable Stability AI unlawfully copied and processed millions of images protected by copyright to train its software, and that Getty Images has commenced legal proceedings in the High Court of Justice in London. I love that the London courts are always called the High Court Justice in London, you know, and ours are like, you know, the courthouse. Fifth, courthouse fifth, down on fifth the corner. District court. <laughs> yeah. Fifth, yeah. Um, and then last but not least... Uh, overriding all of this, of course, or I guess uh, the meta layer on top of this, uh, is that Microsoft is considering uh, a $10 billion bet on ChatGPT and OpenAI uh, in uh, particular, and looking at valuing the new firm at $29 billion, which would be a huge investment into this company, and they would do all sorts of song singing, dancing, marching, twisting, turning to make OpenAI the nonprofit organization remain a nonprofit, but have the ability, of course, to do big money-making, rich Silicon Valley-making things. So with all of that, Mr. Polizzi, what do you think about these images, lawsuits, AI and investment. Oh, where, where you know we could do a whole episode on where we think this is. Actually, I would love to have your take on where you think this is all going. The oh, I definitely have a take on well, the lawsuits. For well, sure, the yeah. the yeah, I want to hear your take on that. I, let me let me go talk about the Microsoft thing because first of all, very smart move by Microsoft, which seems to be trying to do what what I can only think would be like a Duke Brothers move from trading places where they're trying to corner the market, <laughs> nice, right? Yeah, I love right? it. They try, isn't it I that's, love it. That's what I... Because then this goes back years ago when I first learned about OpenAI. I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. This, you know... Elon Musk is one of the founders. We want this to be something that is a nonprofit initiative so that no big, bad corporate entity or evil empire can take advantage of this thing more than any other and turn the world around. Yeah. Well, it looks like that's gone the other way now because OpenAI is not nonprofit anymore and you have Microsoft investing, which is, I, did you read the, the, the conditions of this $10 billion? Bet I did. I yeah. I, I've never seen it. I don't know about you. I've never seen anything like this where the something about uh, ninety billion. You know, the first 
70, $90 billion in profit, which is hard to believe that that's even a thing. Yeah. But then Microsoft would get 75% of that and the, or whatever. Right. That's the cap. And once that's hit, then OpenAI gets all their profit back. There's some really crazy you know, profit percentages and stakes that are that are being made. But it looks like what Microsoft is doing is they're protecting themselves to saying whatever's going to happen in with with this open ai tool or in ai in general they're going to have a big say uh in anything and they're going to be able to integrate this into all their products it almost looks like open ai becomes a subsidiary in a lot of cases of microsoft isn't that well, sort of the way it's saw, set up yeah we it 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 absolutely is and we've seen this playbook before um i actually wrote a little bit about this uh last week um which is, it reminds me very much of the 2004 to 2006 time frame when we were all talking about this newfangled technology called web services. Web services was going to change the way that the web worked, right? Which was basically apps talking with one another in the background so that you could embed applications into websites, you know, stuff we all take for granted today. Like that, you know, in 2004, having a website that did a lot of different things was like weird and, you know, it was like almost spooky magic. But there was this web services idea that was being proposed, uh, which would basically connect applications across the web. So you could do things like software as a service, or you could do things like uh, where... Your, you open up Microsoft Word, and then it pulls stuff from the web into Microsoft Word. So that they branded it. They Microsoft did an incredibly smart thing back then, and they called it .NET. They had this whole .NET service that they launched and productized web services and built, you know, there were startups built on it. There were media companies built on it. There were all kinds of things built on it. Now, .NET as, it's, as a protocol didn't really but the interesting thing was there were so many open source solutions available that every you know there was a sort of religious war at one point about well are you microsoft based are you java based are you you know what what do you do with all of these things and it was it just reminds me so much of this where microsoft is looking to take ai brand it productize it put it into their products very smart move sure. And at the same time, what you're getting is people from the other side of things, the open source side of things, or the more open uh, parts of things, going, "Help! This is not this is not good. This, you know, this is going to stifle uh, all kinds of innovation in this space and give Microsoft an unfair advantage." But it's I, I think it's really smart on Microsoft's part to do this uh, and take advantage of the hype that's going on right now with with all of this. We'll see if they're successful with it, but it's it's it, there's there are so many great use cases here. It does not surprise me in the least. It seems doing. like a no lose scenario for them. It really does. Oh, absolutely. Hundred percent. First of all, yeah. twenty nine billion dollars is a ton of money, but not for Microsoft. That's right. <laughs> it's the, that's couch cushion, and not for this them. space, right? It's it's yeah for this space. I mean, this is going to be this coming year will be. The, I mean, this will be the the venture world for the next twelve months. It will be everything AI. Every every new startup will have some sort of AI. It's, yeah, it's funny. It. Two years and ago, it was crypto, right? Everything was oh, it got to have right. blockchain. Exactly. Right now, or everything right. is it's yeah. what what's your what's your AI play? Or it's an AI right. has to be an AI business. 
That's right. And and every and I'm and I'm under the assumption that you know just like every company is a technology company today every company in the future will integrate some form of of ai into their processes yeah well this is so this was this is where i i have my big wonderful question okay. which i think is the most fascinating question in all of this as it pertains to the investment and the the new innovation side of things and i actually asked Paul writes her this on a, uh, we had a marketing profs uh, just at the end of the year, sort of a year end, year in review, plus a predictions kind of show. And I asked him what his thinking was on this. And I don't think anybody has a really good answer. Not that Paul had necessarily a bad answer for this, because I certainly don't have a good answer on this. But my question is, in the future, do you, do you look to a Microsoft to provide an AI for your business or your your home computer or whatever that is a sort of background service, like an operating system? In other words, do you buy one that sort of is the AI that drives, you know, not every, your music selection plus your content creation plus your uh, analytics and numbers plus your Excel spreadsheets plus your finances? Is there sort of one AI engine that acts like an operating system or is it individual AIs that are very point solution based that are in each like you have an AI engine in your garage band, you have an AI engine in your email newsletter system, you have yep. an AI engine in your content creation engine, and they're different, made by different people. And I can make an argument for both right now, but I just think that's going to be the fascinating question. To I think answer. it's a great question. And, I, and right now, with limited information, I would say it definitely would be both. Because the more that I get into reading about what the possibilities are with this, I just come back to the movie Her. That, you know, that's kind of a weird ending to that movie for those people that see it. But basically the idea is it's an AI operating system that you buy that becomes like your right. assistant in everything you do. And that's that's pretty close to being a thing. Not the Yeah. So that's that's now will Microsoft be able to offer that as an operating system? Yes, I think they will. And I think that's gonna come, I don't know, the next two, three years in that form, if not already. Um, yeah, it's already starting, right? When you open up, it's fascinating now. You open up Word now, and or excuse me, PowerPoint, and there's an AI engine running in the background that's giving you alternative designs for slides. It's it's a fascinating thing. It by the way, it doesn't work very no. well because it slows everything down. Like it slows PowerPoint down a lot. I spend a lot of time in PowerPoint, but you know, there's it's so I've turned it off. It's because it just slows everything down so much. But the design, the alternative designs and layouts that it suggests are pretty darn good. Well, the process, and that's one one of the thing that, things that OpenAI was talking about, why they need investment, is because of the processing power. And I guess yeah. with every, every time somebody plugs something into ChatGPT, it costs them a couple pennies. Right. And, I mean, I can't even imagine the costs of processing power, which, by the way, if you're looking at investments, uh, you know, I would imagine chip companies and memory companies <laughs> are probably oh. where to put your money. But this is not a financial investment show. That's um, right. That's yeah. Right. So anyway, so let's go to the let's go to the lawsuits. What what the lawsuits? What's your yeah. take on? I, I guess my quick take is we we're just seeing the start of this. This is going to go on for years. You are seeing seeing a 
bunch of different companies trying to get a piece of this. And most of those companies are because they feel their business models are being disrupted, a la Getty, who's freaking out right, right. now because they're saying, okay, our business model is going the way of the dodo, and we want to continue to be a multi-billion dollar company. So how do we figure this thing out with what's going on? And the first thing to do is throw out a lawsuit. Yeah. My take on this is twofold, and they are different. Um, so the Microsoft GitHub one is interesting to me because it's basically complaining about a behavior that programmers have been doing for the last 20 years. Borrowing code. Which is copying and pasting each other's code. That's, I mean, there is a running joke among programmers who say the, the, your, your biggest and highest skill as a programmer is being able to Google. Right. It, it, in other words, you're trying to Google for some someone else who's already done the thing you're trying to do, and you're copying and pasting code. That's that's a practice that is as old as coding itself, because code is code. Right. It code works or it doesn't work, and it is there is an accuracy level there. So I so what does that mean ultimately? I think they lose this. I don't think there's any basis for a lawsuit here because what the learning model is is learning what works. And if it works, it continues to be part of the learning model. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't. So it's an accuracy play. So I don't think there's really any way you can argue that it is uh, it is in copyright violation of, of 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 code through things that are being that are being displayed. Now I may be wrong. I'm no lawyer here, but I but that to me is my gut reaction when I hear this is that they're gonna the, the class action suit here is not going to go very far because. There's it's really it's going to be really hard to show that this isn't already happening everywhere. Um, the Getty Images one, however, is very different because that's art. That's about individualism and it's about creation. And the whole point of any image is that it is unique and distinct and provides level of creative expression. And the difference there, though, I, I agree with you. I think this is Getty. This is this is. This is not Getty. To me, this is not Getty freaking out. This is Getty making a very strategic business move to say, we're going to be in this business. Like Shutterstock is already planning on being in this business. Getty is very much going to be in this business of being able to gen you know, generate images out of Dolly too. So anybody who thinks Getty is sticking up for the content creator here, you just just get a life because Getty does not care so about. So you're you. saying they're Getty not protecting not care, the designers here. They're not trying to protect photographers or artists or anybody. What they're trying to say is basically, if anybody's going to be in this business, it should be us. And so, how dare you use our library? You know where we already exploit the the, the creators and photographers and designers. So. Don't 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 basically don't mess in our corner because we're going to get into this business. And what they're looking for here is a judgment that says that they can actually do this and maintain both businesses so that they can say, hey, listen, you want to you want a human generated image? You got one here. You want an AI generated image? You got one here. So this is a win win for them, whether they win or lose. But it's basically them getting into this business. So uh, I've, to me, this is a uh, absolutely a business strategy by Getty and Shutterstock and every other stock art uh, uh, site out there. They are not trying to stick up for the creators here. Although the PR will the, the PR will be exactly that, but it's not about the creator. Are you saying that Getty's out there saying something like, "Hey, if you're going to exploit designers and photographers"? 
it better be us. Yeah, like, is that what you're that's saying? Right, that's exactly what they're saying. They're saying they're saying, "Hey, listen, you're you're trying to get there." No, we are the ones that are going to exploit the creators and the designers and the artists. Come on, we've By been doing way, this just, for years just for Let's, legal purposes. You know. Robert Rose means no, <laughs> nothing personal against the good folks at Getty Images here. He's just stating an opinion, and his his opinion is is not that of everyone on this show. This old marketing. Hey, listen, <laughs> if if. if Listen, I'm going to go to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, George Santos, on this, um, oh and basically, uh, and, and you know, and say, lying is okay. <laughs> it's just an opinion. Yeah, no, I, I do, I do believe it's a smart business strategy for them, but don't fool yourself that this is Getty Images caring about you if you're a creator or a photographer. It's, it's so the, the I think there's so much many things that we could go into on this, one, but the interesting thing to me is yeah. over the past couple weeks is the amount look it it's obvious p- people are looking for business models around chat gpt and there probably are are many but my concern is the amount of content that is being created from this machine that is not right <laughs> that is just not correct right. information that of course, when it comes out of ChatGPT, it's like it's fact. We've talked about this for the last few episodes. And then once it gets out and you have more and more and more and more of this, then what becomes truth? We've been through this before with social media, right? And more yep. and more of this happens. And, of course, that comes back to, boy, if you are a trusted brand or a trusted person, it's, so maybe there's an opportunity here instead of people – you know, and I'll talk a little bit about this later, but instead of people being all scared that they're going to take over my jobs, maybe there is an opportunity here for people. I think there is. So it's a danger. You know, there are a few people out there talking about this, and I'm fascinated with the whole thing, which is we are so wrapped up right now in the whole AI content creation thing. We are not paying attention to the content consumption part of this, right? Where you know there are there are folks out there going oh ai chat gbt will replace search cuz now i can i can ask the ai a question and get a recipe for chicken soup and and all of that and that will be a really interesting uh thing to explore because at its surface you think it makes search irrelevant right it makes it starts to make search irrelevant if i can just ask ai for the answer why wouldn't sure. i but if it doesn't have the trust if it doesn't develop the trust with accurate, good advice or accurate, good information, then what you're going to start to see is a halo effect start to affect search and Google, and you're going to start to see an alignment. And I think this is an opportunity, honestly, for marketers, for businesses, for media companies in general to provide a differentiation through human uh, human created accuracy, right? Trust, being able to establish trust with an audience. Now, instead of AI being the go-to, I go to the human because I know at least I'm getting a human-oriented response. Well, that's the thing with search, right? So if you, let's say you, whatever you're searching for, you go to ChatGPT. I don't know the source. I don't. We have no right. idea where that comes from. So you either take well, it or the, you it's don't. It's the zeitgeist, right? I mean, the, the source is the learning model. And that's... So unless you know the learning model, and consumers are not going to give a crap about the learning model, they're just going to want to go, where are you getting your yeah. information? And the, and the answer is going to be the internet, 
<laughs> for yeah. the most part. They, yeah, who then, knows? Yeah. But that's the thing. I, if I go and I search for something on Google and I scroll down to it's it's just one big page now for for on most devices. Just right. so you know, there's no page two for Google anymore. You just keep scrolling and scrolling. But whatever you click on, then you make a decision on whether that's reputable. And you look at the design, right. and you look at the author, and you look at the uh, the the uh, the brand, and then you say, okay, this sounds right. So th- let's take your chicken soup for example. So I said, great. So it comes from uh, uh, Betty Crocker. I don't know. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I know Betty Crocker brand. They're not going to say something that's not right. This looks good. It's got right. It's got that's reviews. Right. I like this. I'm I'm going to use this one. And then you get that on your a brand GPT. Good, yeah, I don't know who. Can- it, they you can exactly. literally throw in oh it needs a cup of paprika, and you're gonna follow that because that's what chat. That's GPT's an underappreciated. I think that's an underappreciated externality here, which is brands will have the opportunity to become that good housekeeping mm-hmm. seal of approval for information and truth. And I think at that there is such a huge opportunity here, and gives me so much hope for both the development of AI as well as the importance of human-created content. So so I guess the whole thing is uh, there's a lot of people, that, especially writers, that are sweating this whole thing. But the on the other side, yes, there are going to be usage usages for this that may be parts of what you do as a writer or parts and jobs in a company don't go don't happen anymore or they go away. But there's all these new opportunities at the same time. Because we have never had a more important time there. We need to build trust. Absolutely. So there you go. Absolutely. And how do you do that? Well, 100%. It's a, as, as, there was only as a way. the Chinese would say, it's a crisis. And all a crisis is, is a change riding the dangerous wind. Yeah. So it's, it's no more of a crisis than, than when the internet was created. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. All right. Let's move on to our next story here, which is about content marketing. Uh, and J.P. Morgan shutting down a website that we actually talked about the acquisition of on this show. Uh, it has now shuttered a website it paid $175 million for and accuses the founder of inventing millions of accounts. This uh, story coming to us courtesy of CNBC. CNBC. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it opens up by saying, J.P. Morgan Chase on Thursday shut down the website for a college financial aid platform it bought for $175 million after alleging the company's founder created nearly 4 million fake customer accounts. J.P. Morgan said it learned of the truth about Frank, which the irony there is very funny to me. Um, the truth about Frank, which is the site that they acquired, after sending out marketing emails to a batch of 400,000 customers. Sorry, this is just comedy to me. Uh, About 70% of those emails bounced back, the bank said in a lawsuit filed last month in federal court. So the article goes on to talk about the background here of them buying uh, one of the fastest growing college financial planning platforms. It was a content marketing play as a media company used by more than quote unquote 5 million students at 6,000 institutions. Uh, And it also provided access to the startup's founder, Charlie Javis, who joined the New York based bank as part of the acquisition. Then they went back and did a bunch of stuff and, and apparently found out that Uh, Well, most of the email addresses that they had in their system were not real. So, I mean, I totally have a take on this, but I'm sure you do as well. As someone who has acquired a company that had an email list, what do you think about this? I mean, does this say more about J.P. Morgan than it does actually about Frank? That's exactly right. So, obviously, 
Charlie Javis, who is the founder of Frank, was up to some no good here, inventing millions <laughs> yeah, of fake accounts. <laughs> I, so multiple people are getting fired here. Uh, I, I, $175 million. I, yeah, $175 million deal. So I, I've been through uh, much, much smaller deals multiple times. And there is a, yeah. a ton of due diligence done. I mean, just when we sold Content Marketing Institute, we went through six months oh my God. of serious yeah. due diligence on everything, on the numbers, on the email, on the business model. The, right. Just and, and it was that's basic due diligence. It's not like we were doing anything an over and above. It's an audit. What? Yeah, it's an audit. Yes. Yeah. I can't believe that they actually paid $175 million or $10 for this thing without checking. Or... Or didn't send their first email until after the check had cleared. I mean, just something as simple as like, hey, maybe let's send a first test email and look at the report and MailChimp and see what's going on here. It's right? kind of, I mean, I, I, the fact I read that 400,000 emails I, I, bounced. I don't believe this. I can't believe yeah. that, that this actually happened because this is just multiple human beings not doing their job. Can you, can, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. Can you just picture a moment? That there's some poor manager sitting in his or her office, and they've run the, e they've sent the email, and they get the report, whatever system they're using, they get a get report, bounce, of report. bounce backs, yeah, the bounce back report, and it's they, you know, maybe they sent it to a million, uh, you know, as a test or something like that, and four hundred thousand of them bounce back, and this poor manager has to get up from his or her desk probably have to print it out <laughs> and walk it into their boss and go, uh, we may have a problem. <laughs> Just, oh my God. What a, what a way to, what a way to end your week. Right. I mean that, that it probably happened on a Friday before they're going Could you out. Imagine the dinner. person, yeah, the person oh. that is the new, the, the, the person responsible for the whole brand of Frank now. Cause it's a JP Morgan person for oh, sure. Oh yeah. They're coming in there right? and they're all and, happy. Know, oh, yeah. I got this new yeah. gig. It's great. It's going to be cool. You have 4.25 million thing. customers or whatever. And then you say, no, no you really yeah. don't. You have 300,000. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, it is crazy. Uh, I, yeah, I it don't have crazy. anything to say. Other anyway, than the fact that yeah, the cautionary tale is to do pay your, attention, right? I mean, yeah, you got to, you know, yes, acquisition of a media property makes total sense, but you got to do that part right, too. Um, that's the that's the that's the cautionary tale here. All right. Let's move on uh, to our next story here, which is our musky scent segment. All right, we can uh, we we'll do this quickly here. The musky scent segment. Um, uh, thanks, by the way, again to Andy Schiffman for the for amazing theme Loved song. It. We love, love it. it. Yeah. Um, and just three quick stories here, and I only want to talk about one of them really. But um, the 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 related stories are the Twitty Twitter Twitty Twitty. Maybe it is Twitty, Twitty now. <laughs> that's the new that's the, that's the, 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 the new company. Twitty. He's gonna say it's there not not Twitter anymore. It's Twitty. 
they had a yard sale, apparently, this coming uh, via a number of uh, news outlets, but we'll cover uh, the one from AP uh, Associated Press, which said Twitter auctions off the Blue Bird, uh, the big statue that they had in their office, and then the pricey furniture, the coffee maker, basically whatever you wanted. They had a yard sale. A neon Twitter going for $35,000, anybody? How about a used industrial kitchen mixer? Uh, Elon Musk wants to make a point. And it can be pretty blunt. That's an understatement. Uh, On the day he took over Twitter last fall, he walked into the San Francisco company's headquarters carrying a sink. And no, that was just a stupid dad joke. It wasn't even anyway. Uh, After slashing the company's workforce, falling behind on rent and contract obligations, Twitter under the mercurial billionaire is now auctioning off memorabilia, fancy office furniture and a professional kitchen equipment from its San Francisco offices for what purposes, we don't know. But basically, they walk through a number of the elements that sold um, and uh, how much they sold for, which is a stunt more than anything else. This is not actually providing any real money here. I mean, even if they got a couple of hundred thousand dollars out of all this stuff, it's like that's a drop in the bucket. But uh, the other story that we will cover as part of our Musky Scent segment, of course, is the idea that his debt payment is now due. Um, this coming from finance at Yahoo. Uh, and it, the article talks a little bit about, well, the fact that his $300 million first interest payment on his debt that he used to buy the company is coming due pretty darn quickly here. Apparently, the company does have enough cash, but in other stories, which we won't link to necessarily because they're easy to find, uh, it sounds like revenue is down almost 35% over the course of the last six months. So he's probably going to have to dig into his pockets for some of this uh, to be able to pay this, and uh, at least ongoing. Maybe he's got enough for the first payment, but certainly not for a whole bunch of others. So he's threatened everything from bankruptcy here to other things, and it's still uh, very, very up in the air about what's going to happen here. And then finally, just a related story, which is from Parler, which has gone, as I said at the top of the show, mostly dead to all dead. Uh, And Gadget is now reporting that the layoffs uh, at Parler has really just gone down to about 20 people. Uh, Maybe three-quarters of their staff have been laid off, executives, workers, et cetera, this all coming on the heels of yay not buying the company um and it's i think it's gone you think now. you think so parlor's any, done any on this you want to you want to comment think on parlor's done stick a fork oh in yeah it done. done they're done they're done yeah they're done they're done stick a fork in them they are done it, it's it seems like nobody's gonna buy a model. it nobody just seems like that kind of a model where it's <clears> reliant <throat> only on advertising is and sponsorship is a tough one these days uh and we're seeing that with twitter right it's just it, they're uh, they're getting what forty percent of what they were before from a revenue standpoint. It's just tough to go yeah. on and on. Um, I, I, with the whole Twitter thing, couple things. Just and th- these are all um, things that I'm hearing. So take it for what, what it's worth. I sure. have been hearing that a number of creators are doing really well with Twitter because I think they a lot of former creators on Twitter are doing what you did. They're sort of waiting and seeing. You're sort of pulling back. And seeing what happens, and there's been an opportunity with some others that go all in, and uh, they seem to be doing quite well off the bird. So, uh, f- so take that for what it's worth. Are they focused? It, it, I'd be interested, and I don't, I don't mean this if it comes across with any sort of attitude, but are they crypto people? No. Are they crypto no, creators? They're, they're just they're, they're they're the ones that I'm following, like a Justin Welsh or a Jay Klaus, are 
smack okay. dab in the middle of the creator economy stuff that we're doing. They're, they are content okay. creators right. and they're teaching and they're... Because I know the crypto community really found a home in Twitter. Sure. Like I, I, I know that was a big deal and I know that whole crypto community sort of continues to thrive. The NFT community, the thriving uh, Web3 stuff really found a home in Twitter and Twitter spaces, especially uh, when Clubhouse started to really uh, poop the bed, as it were. Um, but it's it's really interesting yeah, so to see curious. that you know we've always talked about if you could can you leverage social media to drive email subscriptions and the answer is yes and you're seeing I'm seeing it happen with Jay Klaus on Twitter I'm seeing it happen with Justin Welsh on LinkedIn driving significant amounts of subscribers to their proprietary email and yeah. it's working really really well but you ha- you have to invest in that and that's where you make the decision sure. to say I'm only going to do one or two platforms and focus there and and it's working well um yeah i mean i've been going into twitter and and i'm finding that the feed just just to check in basically one is to check the hashtag to see if there's any story ideas which has by the way dried up fairly fairly uh robustly um and my feed is nonsense. My my feed is just it's 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 decreased in value by I don't know even the because five x that's the but your feed is from who you're following, right? That's what I'm talking. That's why I'm talking about. So I I tend to be relatively choosy, not that choosy, but relatively choosy about who I follow. Uh, and so I only follow, uh, you know, I use Twitter as a marketing feed, right? So I don't, you know, I didn't never got into politics. I never got into any of that stuff. So I don't see all that sort of political stuff that is so prevalent in the news and what everybody talks about on Twitter. I just don't see it because I don't follow any of those people. Um, mine tended to be all about marketing, content marketing, media, uh, some sports, but, but that's really it. Um, and it's, but now it's, it's lots and lots of, I get lots and lots of promoted tweets now, and I get lots and lots of, uh, politics and, uh, social awareness, social justice stuff. I get, I see a lots of, by the way, on both sides, uh, left and right. So I see a lot of that now. Now, LinkedIn, on the other hand, has gone up in value for me, like five X, like the quality of my feed on LinkedIn. And there I'm. Uh, about the same in terms of the way that I follow or connect with people. I'm, I'm relatively open in the way I connect with people. So, but that feed, the quality of my, my LinkedIn feed has, has, has really improved. So it, it's, uh, that's why I felt like it's been fine. I have noticed zero business downside to not being on Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I haven't, I only do, I post like once every couple of days now, so I don't post enough or comment enough to do any kind of business either way. But for those that are and are, you know, yeah. if you do the, do the model, you post, you know, one or two amazing things a day, maybe a Twitter thread a week, and you comment on 10 to 20 influencers in your area, you will, and you do that for six months, you'll be very, very successful. But that, that yeah. that's a yeah. big portion of time that you have to set aside. Yeah. That's why if you're going to do it, now I'm, I'm doing that on LinkedIn. And that's, seems to be really starting to to pay off um and yeah. will i think pay off i i i, I just wish it's funny because i started on linkedin so you know whatever it was oh seven oh eight and i really invested a lot i know i miss start. it i i do miss and it. i yeah. and i wish i would have continued a lot of that instead of starting and stopping so many times but yep same here do? yep same so. here 
All right, one quick. We'll cover this because I know you you want to really cover it, and we'll definitely. I I have a take as well. Uh, and before we get to rants and rave, so our last story that we'll cover here is don't call it content marketing. The desperate plea for brand publishing. The latter part of that headline is my edition. This coming t- courtesy of Toolkits.com. It looks like a new. Uh, advisory consulting firm focused in on uh, content and and I guess brand and media. Um, the article itself, which you got to sign up to actually see, um, so <laughs> there's an irony there, but I'm not even going to get into that. But basically, the article opens up <clears throat> saying that a growing number of companies are attempting to distance their brand publishing efforts from content marketing in an effort to gain audience trust, attract higher quality talent, and hold on to dwindling budget. It's a trend that has accelerated in recent months as brand publishing continues to evolve quickly. Companies are increasingly making public proclamations about their editorial independence and their intent to produce legitimate journalism as opposed to more product-focused content marketing. The article goes on to talk about how a number of media companies are trying this new wonderful strategy and product companies are doing the same by launching editorial brand uh, publishing, in their words, ideas and separating it out from the concept in a inexplicable way uh, of content marketing, and so uh, anyway, I have a t- I have a take on this. Um, none of it very, <laughs> none of it very, none of well, all of it very snarky. But what? Uh, give me, give first, me. Your yeah, first of all, the the site, the the toolkit site that this is from is is fine. I've been registered as get to get their emails for a while. A lot of the articles are really really good. It did seem like this article was from 2010 ad age to be honest, when I first saw it and I read through it. Now, this whole idea of you know going back to brand journalism or brand publishing, uh, first of all, I can make a case for that. If you are a, an agency and you're talking to a particular person, it may make sense for you to talk about brand publishing and not content marketing, depending on who your audience is, to try to sell those services. Now, if you are on the brand side, and depend. You're talking about a me- you're talking about a, me- a media. I'm talking company, about. Right? I'm, I'm talking about if you're an agency and you offer content marketing services, you actually do okay. m- magazines and newsletters for brands. It may make okay. sense in your own marketing and positioning to position yourself as a as a you know your expertise as brand publishing and not content marketing, depending on who you're sure. talking to. Sure, it, especially if you live in the two one two area. Exactly, it de- really depends. So I have no problem with that. Some. Uh, I mean, I've been going through this for 20 years now when we had the yep. Custom Publishing Council and then the Custom Content Council, and then we went into the Content Marketing Institute. There were all sorts of factions that people said that it should be called this, it should be called this. Now, we decided to go content marketing because what is it? It's marketing. At the end of the day, we have marketing objectives behind these things that we do, and that's why we thought it was important to call it content marketing because let's just call it what it is. It's marketing. Now, if you're saying this article contends to say that if you are uh, doing brand publishing for a brand, it's better to call it brand publishing than content marketing because you're – some way safe in this recessionary environment and you'll and, and it's a better way to position yourself that might be just this moment in time as people are letting there's a there's is a recession people are uh laying off other people some of that's coming out of marketing and so for some reason they forget you because you're in brand publishing or in the publishing division that's good luck for you for this six month period but at the end of the day, I don't care if you're doing a magazine, a newsletter, I don't care what you call it, you have to show results, and those results 
are in essence from your marketing efforts. What are your marketing? What is all that brand publishing getting you? You have to be, be reporting <clears throat> yeah. to some place in marketing. Now, if you're in a small company and reporting to the CEO, that's great. That's not who we're really, really talking about here. You know, you can keep going. You can you can publish your magazine forever and not show results if that's what the CEO wants, and <laughs> you're fine. But if you report right. to an enterprise that demands results, at the end of the day, you're going to have to look at marketing metrics. So that's yes. that's my take. Yeah. So I hear I'll I'll only add this very quickly here because for any listener who's listened to this show for a long time, this will this will remind you of an argument that I used to seemingly make weekly yeah. um, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, maybe even that's when it's really kind of stopped. When we used to, you know, when we used to have these debates, right? When th- this was a weekly occurrence where there was somebody who was saying, you know, this is this and this is that. Um, you know, we had a long-running sort of frenemy uh, feud with HubSpot for a long time, trying to declassify content marketing and, and reclassify inbound. Um, but here's the thing: I don't care what you call it. I don't care if you call it brand publishing. I don't care if you don't call it content marketing. I don't care if you call it brand journalism. I don't care if you call it uh, custom content. I don't care if you call it advertorial. I don't care if you call it whatever whatever works for you, to your exactly your point. Whatever works for you and your audience, great. Make it work. It's all just marketing at the end of the day. Um, what I do care about is when you try and redefine content marketing as a part of that. That's when that's what grinds my gears, right? So I don't care that the the author in this particular case believes that brand publishing is the way to to phrase this. Fantastic, good for you, go for yeah. it. But what I do care is that, and she actually writes this in another post where she says, "Well, here's what content marketing is. Content marketing is product marketing is talking about product features and benefits." And it's like, no, nope, that's not it. That's not that's not it, right? So that's. That's where that's where I have to stop and go. No, 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 no. You don't get to redefine my thing in order to elevate yours. And so that's the that's the only real challenge I have with this whole thing is that what it shows is either they know and don't care and are just using that redefinition in order to elevate their own brand publishing uh, idea, or they don't know and haven't done the work, haven't done the research. And the latter really—it's probably is what the latter. You and I have run into most people. I'm sure it's the latter. Well, most people on the publishing side, especially the B2B publishing side, I have a lot of friends there. That some of them make the effort to learn, some of them haven't. If they just hear and see content marketing as a term, they immediately think it's promotional. Right. And that's what this that's article right. says. And so you're right. They just. That's right. And it's mostly, by the way, that's mostly a I find. And again, I kind of made the comment that this is a 212 area code thing. I do find that this is mostly a Madison Avenue, New York media uh, issue um, where, where it is. a And this, by the way, the, these folks are New York media based. So it's, it's, you know, the, so good luck, God bless, Godspeed for your business, for everything you're doing in brand publishing. I do admit I, now that I, now that I have seen some of the content, the content is really good on this site, but don't, you know, don't drink my milkshake, man. That's I wonder what, if I, I, I probably should send say. a note. I'll send a note you on know. that too, and just say, "Hey, that, that's the definite. Your definition of content marketing isn't correct. You really should. That's right. You really should take that's a right. look at it. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Go be you. You be you. But don't 
Don't don't tell us how to yeah. be us. Um, okay. Uh, very quickly here, before we get to rants and raves, if you want to check out all the wonderfulness of our show notes and everything that uh, we do here, and as well as listen to the other 358 episodes, including the last episode that was tons of fun for us to talk about business models and stuff, go do that at thisoldmarketing.site, won't you? Go check it up. You can sign up for both of our newsletters uh, if you're there and want to do that and get our email uh, wonderfulness, speaking of email, um, and all the wonderful things that we offer on a well, uh, you on a weekly basis, uh, me on a fortnightly basis. Um, and so, okay, so to go do that. Uh, also, obviously, hashtag us up with show uh, ideas. Email us. You can leave us cool voicemails, by the way, at the website. you can. We'd love those cool voicemails. Those are always fun. Um, so let's get to rants and sure. raves very quickly here and talk a little bit about... You want to go first? You yeah, want to go first with your little differentiation story? Mine's really quick, and it, it actually has to do with what we were talking about before with, with chat uh, GPT and, and all this AI and, oh my God, the machines are taking over our content. And, and it, for whatever reason, I thought about yours and my friend, Don Schultz, who amazingly is hard to... It's all been, oh. almost been three years since he passed away. Uh, and yeah. for those of you who don't know, Don Schultz, Professor Emeritus at, at Northwestern uh, School of Journalism, Medill School of Journalism. Uh, he spoke at Content Marketing World, I believe it was 2013. Uh, he was one of my amazing, amazing. Really, he was one of job. my mentors in getting into the whole content marketing industry. He took a meeting with a lunch meeting with me and. 2003 or four in Chicago that that I had no right getting and he was wonderful enough and we stayed friends from after that moment and I guess with all this that's going on and will continue to go on and continue to change uh, Don always said that the only way to truly differentiate yourself from the competition is how we communicate and I believe that yep. will always be the case. And I actually just put this on LinkedIn. There's this um, this line in A Star is Born uh, where Jackson says this to Allie, and I'm going to read this quote. So, so Jack says, who's the guitar, you know, the guitar player from Star is Born, says, look, talent sure. comes everywhere, but having something to say and a way to say it so that people listen to it, that's a whole other bag. And unless you go out there and you do it, you'll never know. That's just the truth. And there's one reason we're supposed to be here is to say something so people want to hear. So my whole thing, this is good. So again, over and over again, we're going to be dealing with these changes in technology and content, but it always comes down to, do you have something to say? And are you saying it in a different way? And if you're doing that, are you doing it consistently over time? And that's how you break through. And I just wanted to little motivation for everyone not to get oh, lost in the technology really here and, and throw it back to our great friend don schultz who uh, who said don it well schultz. and continues to yep. continues to be important and will continue to be important so there you go giants standing on the shoulders of giants we are absolutely um um okay i love that i absolutely adore that um, uh, so I have a very quick rant, if you will. I don't know if it's rant or more, or actually commentary here. I'll link to two things in the show notes um, that sort of I read over the last week or so that just sort of have got me, uh, got me, my gears grinding, as it were. Um, and so the first is that. So this goes back to Elon Musk and his layoffs. Um, there is a there is a, a an increasing meme going around Silicon Valley that what he's they're all all the CEOs at tech companies are watching what he's doing here um, and sort of 
viewing it as rather heroic. In other words, basically re- reducing the Twitter staff down to 75% of, 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 or cutting it by 75%, and then pointing to the fact that the platform is still up and running and going, see, we were way overstaffed. Um, and, and, and all of these CEOs are apparently now looking at this and going, wow, that we, we should really look at that because, you know, we're, we're, we have too many pinball machines. We have too many, uh, people, we have too many people who don't do much. And so they'll keep the system up and running and it'll run by itself and, and we should cut, 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 and, you know, cut out the, the fat as it were. I, I just think that is one of the most ridiculous uh, ideas, and let me tell you why in a moment. But the second link that I'll point to is a related but different article. This one comes in from Business Insider, and it's the Meta uh, CTO uh, who has basically reportedly told employees that higher headcount has led to untenable slow movement, including meetings that take a month to schedule. And so the article there is really about how. Uh, the CTO has complained that overhead makes everything slower. Of course it does. That's just the, uh, that's just the way that big businesses become big. But basically blaming it on too many people. Basically saying that there was too many people, too many headcount. And so in order to get a meeting with sometimes it takes two weeks or everything's a meeting. And we all know the meaning sort of culture that has, has pervaded uh, corporate America. And especially now that we're all working from home and Zoom and all those kinds of things. And he's the he's blaming that in large part to where they've seen a lot of uh drop in, in productivity and a drop in um, as idea and, and complaining that they're too big. So both of those things, I think, are issues, challenges, but not in the way that they're being positioned. And the, the, the thing that I would point to, and this is especially true in the Twitter idea, is that it becomes very easy for us to make knee-jerk reactions to say, oh, yes, yeah, see, look at Twitter. The platform is still up and running. There's no bugs to, that are really causing any problems. So therefore, cutting the staff by 75% and reinvesting into profits is the right thing to do and let it run, let it run, let it run. And I, would, I have two words for those people who do that, and I have two words only, and it is Southwest Airlines. Which is, if you know what happened with Southwest Airlines over the last couple of weeks when we had all of these big storms over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks here in the U.S., they had a complete meltdown. They had a, the, the system completely melted down. They were the only airline to have as big a meltdown as they did. And if you listen to all of the folks who know what they're talking about, who sort of said, this is why – all of them had roughly the same conclusion, which was they didn't invest in building and keeping modern technology up and running. So yeah, Southwest was up and running. It was there was there you didn't see a problem until there was a problem, and when the problem hit, it really really became a complete meltdown. So that investment, call it people, call it investment in technology, call it investment in modernization, call it. In my mind, it's keeping up, you know, basically keeping up and and making sure that you're keeping up with what's going on in the world is a huge risk in the long term for a short term, what will obviously seem like a short term in in, in the immediate idea of keeping things going. And what it reminds me of so much is back when I was in a startup. We were a startup software as a service and an enterprise software as a service. And we had, you know, a couple of hundred clients, big, big brands. 
And we had to sign all these things like uh, service level agreements and, and, and all of these kinds of things that would go on. And we used to get constant pressure about the number of people that we were putting on to the product and maintaining and managing those uh, the product so that it would you know keep up with the Joneses, keep up with these new web services, keep up with and making sure that there weren't going to be any weird things that happened that would call, cause catastrophic because that would be a, a death sentence for us. That uh-huh. if if things went down over a weekend, we'd be dead. We're they, our clients would quit, et cetera, et cetera. We couldn't afford to lose two, three, four clients because that would have been that would have been the death of a startup company. And we were constantly pressured, like, can't you just, you know, can't you just keep the system up and running? And the answer to that question is yes. We could have fired everybody. The system would have run independently with no supervision. It was designed to do that, run with no supervision for days, weeks, and months. But when it did go, it was going to go in a, it was not going to go in an elegant fashion. It would go in a catastrophic fashion. So I would just warn everybody who's looking with big doe eyes at what they're doing with cutting all of these resources out of these companies. And to the meta situation, I know because I worked with Meta, the problem wasn't too many people. The problem was how they organize their system. They are such a flat organization that it's impossible to make decisions at Facebook. They are so flat. They've lost all sense of hierarchy. And so it's the organization that's the problem. And going all the way back to Stephen Sanofsky, who very famously said a long time ago, you ship the org chart. You are what your organizational structure is. And that doesn't have to do with how many people you have. It has to do with how you're organized. And are you organized in a way that optimizes your ability to withstand and be resilient from disaster? Or are you organized in a way that helps you move things and get to a meaningless meeting? That is the thing to look at, not at how many people you have at any one time. That's my, that's my little commentary and rant. So, does that, so what do you think is the future of Twitter then because of this? I think at some point, I, I honestly do, I believe this, at some point, uh, one of two things is going to happen. One is they are going to have a catastrophic failure, an outage that's going to last time. It's going to, that there will be a challenge with that. Something's going to happen, a breach, an outage, or something that's going to happen to that platform that they just don't have the resources to efficiently fix. Um, because... There, there just has to be that. That will happen, I think, or they will. It will. They'll fix it, right? They'll, they'll, they'll fix what's I think truly broken right now, which is the fact that they are literally running that thing on fumes and uh, and bailing wire and 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 trying to and trying to make everything work. You know, my dad used to have this saying, right? If it can't be fixed with WD forty, you got to replace it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think right now they're running that place on WD-40. It's interesting to see where they go and take this. And even if Elon can go and I, I mean, I don't think he can get away with it, but if you're just looking at it on paper, bankruptcy makes the most sense because I think so. Then then they can start with fresh books, a lean organization, and Elon can do all the things he wants to do. Again, it comes back to, I don't know why he's doing this. It is killing Tesla. It is killing yeah. Tesla right now, and I can't believe the Tesla board is letting this happen. Um, it's unfortunate. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, my only point there, by the way, is not not that you shouldn't cut the fat or that you shouldn't run a lean organization. It's that we immediately jump to people are the problem. No, no. In many ways, it's our approach to the people that's the problem. So that's that's what I want to point out. Yeah. 
People yeah, are good. So there. People Jeez. are good. I like people. All right. Okay. All right. What do you got what going on? What do you got on? going on? You're back. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back doing doing my thing. We're getting ready. We've got uh, Creator Economy Expo. Uh, super, super early bird ends next week. So people want to register, please go register. CEX.events. Want to see you there in May. Robert will be there. I will be there. And uh, what do you got going on besides cowboy craziness this weekend? Cowboy craziness is 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 alive and well at least for one more week uh, here in the Rose household. Uh, the other thing is we're we're blessed to have a lot of client work to do uh, this month. So busy, busy, busy working on client work um, and enjoying some of the sunshine that we finally have here in the Golden State. Yeah, there State. you go. All that rain uh, you've getting gotten. outside a little Oof. bit. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will see you next week. Remember, until then, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We will see you next week on This Old Marketing. Marketing.